Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Today's message is, What is That Worth? Now, here's Bill Almack. What is that worth? It's a question we ask ourselves a lot in our modern society, right? I have to buy something. I could go to the store and purchase it. It's a little bit more expensive on Amazon, but I don't have to go to the store and stand in line. And, you know, it's so peopley out there. I can just let them bring it to me, you know? What's that worth, that convenience? What's it worth to us? Is it worth mowing our lawns ourselves? Or would we rather pay somebody to do it? Right? What's it worth to you? And of course, this question gets asked so much, there's a whole bunch of TV shows about this too. Storage wars. What's old stuff left in an abandoned storage locker worth? American pickers. What's old stuff in a barn worth? Right? Antique Roadshow. What's old stuff my grandparents kept worth? Right? But my favorite of all is Barrett Jackson's uh, car auction. What's old cars worth? Some of them are worth an amazing amount of money. And especially if they've been owned by somebody famous. Right? Some famous movie star owned this, or some famous race car driver, somebody. And then the value goes up. The story is told about a man who was a book lover, collector of books, and he had just met a new acquaintance. And this acquaintance was telling him, Oh, yeah, I was just back at my ancestral home. We were cleaning up, you know, one of my relatives passed away, and we were cleaning out the house, and we found this old Bible in the attic. He goes, but we couldn't read it or anything. We ended up tossing it out. He goes, it was printed by Guten somebody. And, and the book lover goes, not a Gutenberg Bible. These were the first Bibles printed on the printing press in 1455. They're worth millions of dollars. His new friend was unimpressed and said, mine wouldn't have brought a dollar. Some dude named Martin Luther had written all over it in German. <laughs> Couldn't read any of it. What if our Bibles were worth a lot, not because of who had printed it, not because of who had owned it or written in it, but because it had value, intrinsic value? You guys remember the story in 2 Kings 22 of the boy King Josiah, who's made king. He's like eight years old or something. And he becomes king. And Israel has strayed far from God. And the temple's a wreck. So Josiah puts his men to start fixing up the temple. And in the process of fixing up the temple, they find the scrolls, the scriptures. And they bring them to the king and say, we found these. And the king says, well, read them. What do they say? And they start reading them to the king. He starts ripping his clothes in repentance. He goes, we are in trouble. Our ignorance has brought us disobedience to God. 
And revival starts in the land. And they start tearing down the temples from the false prophets. They're always built in high places. They build them on top of hills. But he doesn't just go up there and tear down the temples. He grinds them into dust. I mean, serious, right? It's not just enough to tear it down. We're grinding this into dust. And we sprinkle that dust over the graves of the people who defiled us by doing this. I mean, he was serious. Because those words had power and brought revival in the land. What if our Bibles were worth that much? What if our Bibles were the most important things we owned? What if our Bible were just as important as our cell phone? We treated it like we couldn't live without it. When we forgot it, we went back to get it. We had lots of gadgets to keep us connected to it. We always had it close by in case of an emergency. We carried it around in our purses and pockets. We checked it throughout the day for new messages. We were constantly going over our minutes every month. We made sure our battery never ran low. Now, some of you are saying, ha, I put the Bible app on my cell phone. (laughs) But how often did you open that app? Right? It doesn't do you any good to have the app on there if you never open it. Right? What if? I suspect if the Bible was that important to us and we did all those things, we'd have some some things that were different in our lives. And probably that's a whole bunch of things, but today I want to hit just three things. I hope you've got out your sermon notes. Um, We're going to be looking up some stuff here. If we made the Bible a priority, making the Bible a priority results in understanding. Right? If we made the Bible a priority in our lives, this would result in understanding. Now, some of us may wonder, why do we even need a Bible? Because I learned about right and wrong. I went to Sabbath school as a kid, and I learned all the stories. I learned how to be a good person, right? I'm not an axe murderer, right? I don't do any of these things. I'm good. I got it, right? It's like when you took spelling class. They don't keep testing you on that stuff, right? I passed. I'm good. So why, why do I need this? When I was in seventh grade, a teacher lived right by the school. It was a little tiny school in eastern Pennsylvania, Blue Mountain Academy. And the, the teacher 
took the boys over to his class one day a week, over to his house, sorry, and uh, we would do wood shop in his basement. He had a wood shop. And that was fun. Uh, to this day, I don't know what the girls did, but they must, I don't think they left them alone in the room, so I don't, I don't know what happened to the, the girls. But the guys were happy because, you know, we were going to wood shop, and that was a whole bunch better than spelling class. Amen? So we're, we're down in the basement, and, you know, there was not a lot of us there, six or seven of us maybe, I don't know. But, you know, you had to share tools. Some things there were duplicates of. You know, there were two screwdrivers, two tape measures, two hammers. But, you know, if you needed a drill, maybe you had to wait. So I thought that this was going to be super easy because my dad is a master carpenter, and I had been helping him my whole life, and I got this, right? This is an easy A. And so I decided to make a box. Really profound, I know. But this box was a special box. This was a shoe box. And some of you young people are looking at me like, you put your shoes in boxes? No. Back in the day, you used to have to polish your shoes. And so you had stuff to polish your shoes with. You had shoe polish and rags and brushes and cleaners. And there was black shoe polish and brown shoe polish. Even there for a while, you could get white shoe polish so you could keep your white tennies nice, right? So we had all this stuff in a cardboard box. I thought, well, I'm going to build a nice wooden box to put this in. So we started building. We get all done. And I was very proud of this box. It was a beautiful box, if I do say so myself. And But when you set it down on something hard, like you know a tabletop or something, it had a tiny little wobble to it. It wasn't perfectly square. It still worked. It still functioned. But as the teacher looked at it, he says, I'm going to have to dock your grade a little bit because you weren't careful in how you measured and cut. And to this day, I cannot believe that I said this. I said, it wasn't my fault. I know how to measure and cut. I, I can't believe I said that. And, and the teacher says, well, then what was the problem? I said, well, maybe it was your tools. <laughs> and yet I lived through that experience. Um, but he was very open to it. He says, well, show me what tape measures you used. So I showed him, I used this one and I used that one. He started comparing them. And sure enough, they did not read the same. They were off by about a sixteenth of an inch. Just about the amount that this thing wobbled. We need a standard in our life that is true and correct. In Washington, D.C., there's a building called the National Institute of Standards and Technologies. And they keep in there measures that we would need. How much a pound is, how much an ounce is, how long is a foot, a yard, a meter. They have a, a alloy rod. It's made of platinum alloy with exactly 10% iridium. And if they freeze that, get it down to zero degrees Celsius at freezing, and they take it to exactly the 45th latitude on our planet, which would be Maine, it's exactly one meter long. And that is the standard. It's called prototype number 27. The original prototype is in Paris, their equivalent of the same thing. And this is what we use to make sure that the standards are right. 
Now, if you buy some cheap knockoff ruler or yardstick, it might not be quite as accurate as getting one that's been verified to be right. And this is something that we don't think about too much, but if it gets off a little bit, we have problems. Things go wrong. You guys remember the show, I Love Lucy? Any I Love Lucy fans in here? Yeah, a bunch of us. A little bit before my time, I had to watch it in reruns, but I think I've seen just about all of them. Um, You remember at the beginning of the show, early in the the series, Lucy and and, uh, Desi's bedroom, what what did they um, have in there? Two beds. Because you couldn't show adults in bed together on TV. By the end of the series, there was one bed. But if they were both going to be in bed together, one of them had to have their foot on the floor. I kid you not, there is some shots at the end of the series where they're laying in bed together in the evening and one of them got their leg out the sheets and on the floor. Because that was the standard of what was allowed. A little bit different than the standard of what's allowed today on TV. Just a little. Just a little. Because society is always changing the standards. Our music, our movies, the TV, it's just always those standards change. They're not set. They're not unchanging. Open your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy 3. There should be a Bible there in the pew if you don't have one. 2 Timothy is towards the end of the New Testament. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Timothy. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. There? It says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that what? So that the man of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Why is this here? So we can go around and beat each other over the head with it and go, you're wrong, you're wrong. No. This is so we can be equipped for good works. Because we know what good is and what evil is. If we've been reading the Bible. The Bible is a standard. Say there in Timothy, and I'll put this up real quick, but in Luke 16, 17, it says, It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. You ever met, sometimes there's Christians out there that, like, oh, you know, that Old Testament, we don't have to worry about that. You know, that's, that's the old stuff. We're in the New Testament. I think the whole thing matters, right? I think the whole thing matters. You know, I, I found this um, survey from Barna, and this is from 2002, and I, I searched to see if there was a newer version of this, and I couldn't find it. So this is a little bit old, 18 years old. But they asked a whole bunch of Americans how they would, if they would agree or disagree with this statement. And the statement was, the Bible is totally accurate. Okay? So if somebody came up to you and said, do you believe the Bible is totally accurate? Would you say yes or no? Here's some of the results. 
if you just took all Americans, just lumped them all together, 41% agreed with that statement. Okay? Adventist, it was 64%. Ooh, we're doing pretty good, 64%. Assembly of God, 77%. Baptist, 66%. Catholics, 26%. It goes down through the list. Lutherans, 34. Methodists, 38. Mormons, 29. Non-denominational Christians, 70. Pentecostal Foursquare, 81% of them. Now, I suspect in the last 18 years, those numbers have probably gone down a little bit. But Christians, and only 60, 70, 30% of us believe that the Bible's totally accurate. That's depressing to me. That's depressing to me. I believe the whole Bible is inspired, right? Number two, if we're studying the Bible, if we're making this a priority, that's going to result in change. It's going to result in change. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. And the word that is used here, the sanctify word, is a word that kind of talks about moving from non-sacred or non-holy to holy, being changed. The Word of God does not change, we change. As we're moved from not being suitable for holy work to being suitable for holy work. Remember, holy just means set apart for a special purpose. God wants to set us apart for a special purpose. Okay. Some years ago, the state of Kentucky had a, a law that said they had to display the Ten Commandments in every classroom. And that got challenged, and it went up through the court systems, and eventually got to the Supreme Court, where the Supreme Court ruled against Kentucky, so they had to take them down. And part of what their write-up said was, Having the commandments on the wall may induce a student to read, meditate upon, and actually obey what is therein written. The Supreme Court of the United States recognizes that if you read and meditate on the Ten Commandments, you will be changed. Turn to Hebrews Chapter 4, just a couple of uh, books farther back. You're in Timothy, go past Titus, Philemon, get to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4, 12. It says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Right? The Bible is like a sword, not for you to wield against somebody else but for the Holy Spirit to wield it against you. 
Because too many times we're quick to say, Ooh, look at those people. Mm. Look at those people. Mm. And the Holy Spirit says, Hey, what about you? What about you? What about you? One scholar who was reading about this observed that the student doesn't so much study the Bible as the Bible studies him or her. The Bible is a living thing serving as the tool for the Holy Spirit. David says in Psalms 119.11, I have hidden thy word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Right? The, the Bible will change you because it will start to, to separate out those things that shouldn't be there. Okay? Number three, making the Bible a priority results in readiness. Results in readiness. Stay in the New Testament because we're coming back to that. But I want to go to a story in the Old Testament. This is in 2 Samuel 23. This is uh, one of my favorite um, stories. Um, I love these old warrior stories in, in the Old Testament. These, these always get to me. Okay, So this is the him referring to here is King David. So it says, Next to him, or King David, was Eliezer, the son of Dodai, the Ahoite. As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Paz Damim for battle. Then the Israelites retreated. But Eliezer stood his ground and struck down the Philistines until his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the troops returned to Eliezer, but only to strip the dead. Now, the same story is also recorded in 1 Chronicles 11. And in that version, they tell us that it was a field of barley that they gathered in. And it says, they. It's not clear who they is. It's probably at least David and Eliezer, maybe a few others, but a very small group that take on this larger force from the Philistines. And the first part when I read this that captures my mind is they taunted the Philistines. What great taunts did they have in like 1000 BC? I want to know. You're ugly and your mother dresses you funny. You know, I, what are they yelling at each other? You throw a spear like a girl. I don't know. What, what are they yelling at each other? But here they are, this small group, maybe two or three or five Israelites, and they're taunting this larger force of Philistines over there. Now the Philistines got to be going, what's going on? There's like a couple of them, and there's all of us. It's got to be a trap, right? They're, they're trying to trick us out into the open. But, you know, it's not like they had machine guns they could just mow them down with or anything. So eventually they come and attack. And notice what happens here. Now before they come and attack, by the way, where they're gathered here at Paz Damim, this is the same place that David dealt with the Philistines and a certain large one a few years earlier. The exact same place. What do we learn from that? 
some of our greatest battles have been fought over the same things time and time again. You ever look at yourself and go, I can't believe I messed that up again. I did that again. So aggravating. You'd think I would learn the same battles come over and over again. It happened to David. It'll happen to us. Stay with it. All right. So what else can we learn from this? Well, Eliezer has a weapon that he's familiar with. He's got a sword in his hand. How did he get familiar with this weapon? He spent time with it. He practiced with it. He used it. He understood it. He doesn't have to think about how to swing it or how to move it. It's a natural extension of his arm. He knows how to block the enemy. He knows how to attack the enemy. He knows how to inflict damage with it. Okay? And he got that way from hours and hours of practice. You're still, are we in Hebrews still? Hebrews, let's go to 514. Hebrews 514. But solid food is for who? The mature. Who by how much use? Constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Can you do this by coming to church one hour a week? That is not constant use. Even if you come every week. I never miss a week. That's not constant use. One one eighty-sixth of your time is not constant use. I think it's 186 hours in a week, I think, something like that. That's not constant use. Okay? Number two, if we look at that text, how did Eliezer grab that sword? Loose? Tight? Tight. He hung on so tight, what happened at the end? His hand was frozen. He couldn't let go. He had gripped it so tight and swung it so hard for so long, his fingers were locked up. Imagine going back. You put down the sword. Now, yeah, maybe later. (laughs) Right? People rubbing his arm. I don't know if they had ice or whatever, you know, trying, trying to get his arm to relax and release that. Just held on so tight that he couldn't let go even if he wanted to. Do you hold on to the Bible so tightly that you can't let go? It would be physically impossible to let go. Bring about change. Number third, what do we see? We see that Eliezer's sword brought about a great victory. With whose help? The Lord's help, right? The Lord brought about a great victory. Would the Lord have brought about a great victory if Eliezer had retreated with everybody else? Nope. The Lord needed somebody to take a stand in the middle of that barley field. And it was David and Eliezer and maybe a few others. 
But because they were willing to, the Lord brings about a great victory. He has a weapon he knows how to use. He hangs on to it tight, and he's willing to use it. He's not scared. Well, you know, somebody might say something if I stand up and say something, right? Turn your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians 10. A little bit more towards the front. I think you're in Hebrews. You've got to go back a couple chapters, a couple books. 2 Corinthians, Acts, Romans, Galatians, Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 10.4. You there? All right. It says, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have what? Divine power to demolish strongholds. This is not you against the world. This is God. Right? You think when Eliezer was an old man and he was telling his grandkids, you know, I had to tell you about the time that me and David stood in the middle of the field and we beat this whole big army of Philistines. And his grandkids are going like, sure, Grandpa. It's like the fish that was this big, right? Who would believe such a story? Because it's not believable for men. Sure, it happens in all the kung fu movies, right? where the hero defeats like 47 attackers all at once. But in real life, that doesn't happen. Okay? That, that's Hollywood fiction. Or it's divine. What would happen if our Bible was as important as our cell phones? We'd have understanding, we'd be changed, and we'd be ready. How are you allowing God to pour His Word into your soul? We are blessed to live in a society where we have free access to Bibles just about. You can purchase a Bible. You can listen to it on audio while you're commuting to work. You can get it for free on the Internet or in your Bible app on your phone. Lots of different versions. Are you allowing that to be poured into your soul? at Bible study, at Sabbath school, in small groups, at church. It doesn't stop there. We've got to memorize it. We've got to meditate on it. We've got to hide it in our hearts. It's God's gift to us. And that's how we unlock God's other gifts. But I'll tell you one thing. I believe that if we do this, that not only will we be changed, but in a way, God is changed. Not because God changes, but God's attitude towards us will be changed. Right? How do you think God feels when He sees us going to His Word to study, to learn, to grow? Happy? Yeah. Right? I think that will change how He deals with us and how He reflects on us. Right? We can all be changed by the word of the Bible.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, sometimes we haven't treated the Bible with the value or the worth that maybe we should have. Lord, help us to understand how truly valuable this is. It's not just a collection of stories and old stuff. And Lord, this is living. This will change us. And it's not like we can just say, I've read it once, I got it. Every time you go through, there's something new. There's additional things to learn. There's more to think about, Lord. Help us to understand the value of this Bible that you've given us, of your word that you've kept safe through all these generations for us, Lord. Help us to apply that to our lives so that we can have understanding and we can be changed and we can be ready for what comes, Lord. Be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.org. God bless.